Like you should plan for things, right? Like you should make sure you actually have a vision about where you want to go, what you want to achieve, by when. But then you should not get crazy when things don't go as planned. Welcome to A Slice of SaaS. I'm your host, Andreas Kongstad. And today we're joined by RevOps expert Roman Goigelin, co-founder of Pine. We'll explore the essentials of revenue planning, discuss why RevOps need to be a leadership priority, and examine the shift from chasing sales to mastering customer retention. So let's dive right in. So Roman, you are a former RevOps leader who decided to start your own company uh, that focused on revenue operating systems uh, companies. So what were the key problems that you set out to solve with this company? And why did you feel that it was important enough to start a company to focus on those problems and go through all the you know challenges of building your own business? Great question, Andrea. So I am a CRO by trade, right? So I led different companies um, as a revenue leader um, and other companies that were like in series B hyper mode, hyper growth um, mode going from 100Ks of revenues to double digit uh, millions of revenues and really having to take all of that struggles that you have to absorb when you're switching from the mode of just trying to get things done and just trying to make things work in any sort of way to something that's more repeatable and more scalable, right? Like this shift usually happens around, let's say one and a half, two million euros of AR. And back then we just had to adjust our systems, right? Because suddenly it wasn't enough to just make a best guess of where to put your money and how to actually hold people accountable for achieving the targets that you set up um, to do them. But you actually had to really plan well of where you will want to go within the next year and how you're going to get there exactly. So you can make adjustments along the way based on the gaps that you're observing throughout the year and therefore readjust your resource allocation. So you actually make sure that you are allocating your resources to the best AR generating units in your company, right? Another way, um, another way to say it, like the AR doesn't care where it comes from, right? Like, but different departments within your go-to-market organizations do. So we actually built a um, revenue operating system within the company that I was working back then called Wunder Mobility that really brought together revenue planning on the one hand, right? Like this bottom-up revenue planning based on a unified data model um, for your revenue across all go-to-market teams, and then basically brought it into operation or operationalized it, reports in the same granularity in different systems and an operating cadence where we would look at the same KPIs all over again every single week, every single month to make sure that we can actually cl like close any gaps that we are observing, right? So when I actually left the company, I realized that a lot of other CROs and especially also VP RevOps people actually have that same problem, right? You have to set the system up from scratch every single time. There is few best practices. Few people actually know how to do this well. And it's really difficult to do this well in Spreadsheet. And trust me, I've tried it multiple times, right? It's always a mess. So we actually developed a platform that helps you do this out of the box. There's always some adjustments that you need to make. But at the end of the day, this enables... Um, revenue leaders such as CROs to understand whether their go-to-market strategy is working and what they need to adjust in order to still hit the targets and the VP RevOps people to better understand, um, yeah, basically how the contribution across different go-to-market function is actually leading to revenue and then really aligning teams around 
yeah, basically how the soup is cooked, you know, the reminiscing. So people can actually make sure they can deliver their contributions. So you mentioned around like 2 million. Was that like where you would typically see where you think companies should start looking into revenue operations or would it be something you would do before? Or is it just like the get stuff done, get some sales and then at 2 million start working on operations or how would you kind of balance that? And like, it's a great question. Actually, people manage that differently, right? If you go to the US, people would probably start hiring RevOps a bit earlier because there the awareness is there a bit earlier that you need to consider revenue as a team sport, as a full funnel exercise, right? While in Europe, typically, this realization comes a bit later in the company lifecycle, right? So I would usually recommend companies to start doing it around like, mid-series A, like beginning of series A, roughly when you have like 40 people, um, roundabout, maybe 50, you know, when you actually start to think about how can you retain your customers, how do you best allocate your resources across existing customers and new, new customers. That's when revenue operations really becomes crucial. Before that, I actually found that most of the times, like some sort of CRM admin is actually good enough. Yeah, because I think it's very easy to get too much. I think there's two like major camps with this. It's the planning forever and trying to build a system for everything too early and forgetting to sell. And right. I've definitely been guilty of being that person, still am quite often trying to be aware of it. And then you would have the, okay, we're just going to sell and sell and sell and sell, but not really thinking about, you know, any kind of system, not thinking about the impact on the customer success team and and just focusing on that purely. And it's very easy, I think, to get caught in one of those two and kind of forgetting to like that balance. Like when you are 40, 50 people, like how would you think about the balance between throwing more stuff at the fire, AKA selling and spending time, you know, improving, systemizing um, and in terms of the go-to-market? So I would also say it depends a lot on the context, right? Like what are the goals of your company, right? Like are you still trying to grow by any means, right? There's still companies today that have this as a target, right? And then it's completely fine to just throw more money on your sales funnel and just, you know, focus on that. If you are already like most companies at that stage right now thinking about, hey, how can we actually get to a CAC payback below uh, 12 months? How can we actually make sure we hit the rule of 40 at some point? you actually have to think differently, right? And you have to think about allocating um, your resources across this funnel already. So, and then it's really about adopting a philosophy of revenue operations, of rev ops, right? Because it's often a misconception that I see, right? It's a lot of companies hire their rev ops person and then they say, oh man, now, now we are going to think revenue for funnel. You know, but it actually starts with Leadership, you know, leadership needs to understand that revenue operations isn't just the sum of marketing operations, sales operations, and customer success operations, but it's actually philosophy to think about revenue as a holistic system and not as booking number of leads and retention, you know. And um, this is often where a lot of rev ops organizations fail because they don't have the shared understanding um, in the leadership. And then it's also kind of you know, doomed to fail. doesn't matter what your company goals are. Yeah, I think that's like the classic thing. When you, If you don't have buy-in, uh, both from the people who are doing the work, but also for some leadership, doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't work. So if you don't have buy-in, don't, like, don't bother. Right. Um, so, so we talked quite a bit about like operating system, building systems. Like, so what would you say, like looking at, I, it probably depends, you know, on the size, the companies, but 
what would be the core part of a kind of a scalable SaaS revenue operating system, if, uh, if we can call it that? So the question is, what type of elements do you need to make sure that you can have a scalable revenue organization? Yeah, like, so what, what would be the kind of core building blocks, I would say, of uh, a revenue operating system? All right, so what I often see, like may, maybe starting with what is often happening, right? Often what happens is, you know, at the beginning of the year, you have, or like end of Q4, middle of Q4, beginning of Q4, depends on your company, you have the CEO coming in with a new revenue target. Usually it's based on like some sort of triple, triple, double, double matrix from VCs. And then it gets put in front of um, the people that have to then execute it. And the CEO says, hey, how can we actually, like, how are we getting there? Like, who contributes what? And it's like kind of, you know, like you mentioned, you don't have really buy-in, you know, you kind of execute on your revenue planning, like a bit of a waterfall principle, like um, in the good old days, it was done in engineering, right? And I see actually the same fallacy that you would have in engineering, right? It's too it's too rigid. It's, it doesn't work. You don't have good buy-in. You can adjust to changes in the market. The market is changing a lot these days. So you actually need to be flexible. So what do you actually need in order to change that? What do you need in order to get to something that's more scalable, something that's more sustainable? First of all, you need to agree, right? Like, like we just discussed, you need to agree that you are actually as a company interested in allocating your resources to the most efficient revenue generation parts of your funnel, right? That is, you have to break down this old thinking of, hey, this is sales, this is marketing, this is customer success, and actually think as a system. And often, ideally, the CRO is the steward of that, could be the VP rep of if it's a very strategic person. Um, and that's where it starts, right? It starts with the mindset. Once you actually have done that part, you actually need to go in some more of the, you know, like I would say definition stuff. Like you probably see a lot of that as well um, in your business, but... The first step is really to create a shared understanding about what, first of all, does good look like and what does our funnel actually look like? How does our revenue engine actually look like, right? You have to create a shared revenue data model, so to say, right? What is that? What is a revenue data model? It's basically defining all of the different stages in your funnel, right? Defining like that's MQLs, SQLs, SAOs, um, ones, define how you define a retained customer, how you define a churned, um, expanded customer, et cetera. And then really get the people that best understand these KPIs to define what is the definition of it and how, how do we actually measure it so you can have a baseline of what these volume metrics are, right? So once you have that, automatically you get the conversion metrics or the processing metrics in between these different volume metrics as well, right? So you understand now what are the volume metrics we want to measure, who actually owns those volume metrics, and you do the same thing with conversion metrics, with processing metrics such as cycle time, such as um, average contract value, average expansion value, and suddenly you already have some sort of a shared revenue data model that you can now assign ownership to, right? And so what you have done so far is you have basically aligned to organization that you want to optimize revenue as a system, not as individual parts. Second, you have to find a shared understanding of what your KPIs are, right? And who owns them. And now the next step is to actually plan for these KPIs and do it as granular as possible, right? Like often you would have an owner for MQLs, but actually break it down. Like, hey, who's the owner for MQLs for your different regions, for your different products, for your different channels, right? 
So actually breaking it down by these dimensions and then creating a plan for those, right? For all of these metrics, you create a plan for the year, which is typically the bottom-up plan. If you're at a stage where you actually care about scalable revenue, you should think about getting a bottom-up plan that really goes into granular detail about what is realistically possible given the current conversion of your funnel to achieve until the end of the year. And you kind of create uses as a baseline for negotiation of where you can actually get with the funnel that you have constructed as a fund, with the budget that you have um, available from investors, right? So that's the third step, right? You have to actually create a bottom-up plan that's aligned with everybody in the organization, that's ideally led by the VP RevOps, or maybe the CRO if you don't have a VP RevOps, right? And then the last step, and this is something I very often see is skipped. You have to have a very solid operating cadence where, we are, where you're looking at the same KPIs Every single meeting, right? Like if it's a weekly or if it's a monthly business review or a quarterly business review, it should always be the same figures. And you know what? Like all the people that say at the beginning, oh my God, we can't start with this yet. Like we don't have enough data. Like the MQL data is not good enough yet. You know, just start doing this. Look at the same data every single week, every single month, compare it against the forecast with your actuals, compare it against the plan with your actuals and your forecast and see how your system basically gets more resilient, how it gets more strong, how your organization becomes self-learning and self-adapting and really begins to get on a base that is scalable, right? So this is a system basically, get alignment that you actually want to do this, then define your revenue model. Then the third step is to create this bottom-up plan that is granular and everybody's bought into. And then the fourth one is to get an operating cadence that people can actually stick to. And then you keep repeating that over and over again and you will see how wonders actually happen to your funnel. Yeah, I would say like, yeah, I, I like to just start with the definitions as well because that's, I think a lot of people and companies skip over those and like the definition of an MQL and SQL is different depending on who you ask or they don't really right. know what it is. And that is how you make marketing annoyed with sales and sales annoyed with marketing. And like, so, so starting with like, what is actually a lead for us? What is a marketing qualified lead? What is a, what, what needs to happen for someone to become an opportunity? Like actually having that kind of baseline and framework, because this like, if you don't have that, like having measurable KPIs, like if you don't have a good definition of it, like your KPIs might not even, like your data, I mean, might not be accurate because everyone is doing it differently. Right. So yeah, I would say like, that's what we would typically start with as well. Like, okay, let's start with the definitions uh, and make sure we are aligned. What do you actually feel is the most common mistakes that people do around this? Because you see this all the time, right? Like most companies say, hey, for us, every every single meeting starts with, hey, do we have 20 MQLs or 30 MQLs, right? Like it's always the same thing. Like it's very clear symptoms that you have this problem. But where in your opinion does it actually originate from? Like what are the most common pitfalls in that? I would say like in a lot of times it is that someone set up the, for example, we use a lot of, like we use HubSpot a lot. So most customers we have would work on HubSpot. And a lot of the time someone set up a system a long time ago and they're no longer there. So no one really remembers why the system is set up the way it's doing, but people just like, they don't want to touch it and they just leave it like that. And when it comes to the definitions, again, someone said it back in the days, but people don't really know what it actually is because it's not clearly documented or you have this massive, super ugly playbook with 50 pages with a ton of links and you can't really use it. So people just ignore it. And because the system is kind of outdated in a lot of ways and no one have ever optimized it and improved it, 
it's just basically a, we, we set it up initially, let's just let it do its thing and we're not going to touch it again. So to answer your question, there was a lot of words here, but to answer your question, I would say the biggest issue is that people set it up and then they just leave it. And there isn't this mindset up. Let's go back in a month or three months and say like, did it actually make sense? Like, did we actually pick the main things? Like, were this actually the primary reason we are losing deals or should we change the close loss analysis? And like, like that kind of looping back, I feel most don't do that because it's not as interesting as doing new stuff all the time. It's a bit like housekeeping, right? It's like a bit like doing your taxes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels like. It's like no one wants to do it, but you actually get a pretty good return on doing it, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like looking at housekeeping. It's quite funny because... Um, uh, a podcast that it's, I think it's coming out like uh, in in a week or something like that, and that was literally um, uh, his analogy was that he was doing the house cleaning and uh, or like you are kind of like a house cleaner. And the thing as well with that, it's like if you have a messy system and no insights, no data, it's like do you clean up your kitchen before or after you cook? Um, <laughs> if you clean it up before or after, it's the same amount of time, but you have to look at it the whole day if you clean it up before. So right. why not do it after? But it's so easy to skip it because there's always something else that's more interesting. So I think a big thing with the whole operations part is that it is something that can have really, really big impact, especially because people don't do it. But it is not as interesting and maybe not as, I don't know, visual in, in some shape or form. Not not cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts on it? I think that actually nails it pretty well. You know, it's, it's just not a, it's also not something where you can shine with, you know, like, I think there's also a problem with this is like, if you create a really cool analysis and you show where gaps are in your funnel or you do a killer revenue plan, you know, you will get accolades for that. You know, people will applaud you for that, but it's so easy to say, Hey, our data quality is bad. Like it's a legacy system I um, inherited, you know, it's, um, it's, there's nothing I can do with it um, about it, you know, and, and it's very easy to kind of settle for the things that make you shine faster and like go for the quick wins, you know, and kind of skip that part of the job, you know, but what actually happens is if you do this, you will never get out of firefighting, even though this is exactly what you're trying to do, right? Like if you're an operations person and you don't do the basement, like the basis, right? Like you don't fix the main 10, 15 use cases that usually frustrate people, they will always keep asking you these hot questions and you will never be able to clean your house and you will never be able to look forward and to become strategic in a sense that you can help steer business decisions and be like a trusted advisor, so to say, to your business stakeholders, right? So... Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think you can get very, like not going to go too philosophical on this, but I think it's also like, because like a lot of time when we come into one of those old portals and, you know, you have five, 600 like HubSpot automation workflow, you have 1500 lists and 200,000 contacts. It's like, where do you even begin? Especially because you don't even know how all the workflows work. Right. So where do you start to fix it? And the reality is that it's kind of working right now. I don't want to risk breaking anything, so right. I just leave it until it becomes such a big problem. I think it's like with um, you know antivirus. I have a friend who uh, who worked <laughs> with antivirus sales, and no one want to pay for that until it happens, and then there is no limits. So I think it, like a bit with operations as well. Like you need to get that kind of uh, punch in the face by 
you not remembering to follow up on a big account or something like that and just realizing, okay, it's too big of a problem right now. And then it becomes this massive project instead of just doing it ongoing. So I think there's a lot of things that comes into it. And even the things with everything tends to get too complicated and big too soon. Like if you you start building a playbook for sales because you haven't had one before, and then you start by creating this monster playbook with 20, 40 pages when hey, you had nothing before. So let's start with a 10 step bullet list. So I think it's like, there's so many things that comes into it. And that was also one thing that you mentioned there with the planning, like how much do you think we should like, because there is always that balance right between action, because having a plan and not taking action kind of useless, but if you take action, but you don't have a clear path, you're not going to have internal alignment and you're not going to know where to go. So how do you work on striking that balance? Because I do find that that is, that is very difficult to kind of strike that balance between action and putting a plan together because you can't hide behind we are agile with no plan and no accountability. You need to have some accountability and some plan in place. Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I think what it ultimately boils down to is to think about what are the biggest, like, how much visibility do you really need in your business, right? Like how complex does the system that you plan for actually need to be, right? How different are your go-to markets? How different are your sales, uh, are your markets, right? How different are your channels, for instance, right? And I think that's what it ultimately boils down to. You need to get only granular if your business actually requires it. That in other words means if your customers behave significantly different across different segments, across different channels or regions or products, then you actually need to start getting more granular in your planning, right? And also once you actually have historical data that you can rely on, right? And I see actually, sometimes it's it's a big mistake to go too granular too early, right? And to over plan, like a very classical example is you have this superstar founder, you know, that closes like three mega deals in a year and then you hire seven more people based on the historical conversion rates of that person, right? And um, because you do a bottom-up plan for them and and suddenly you're surprised that no one even hits 30, 40% of the revenue target that have been assigned because it's based on the founder's sales, right? And it's based on a sales motion that's not repeatable for other people. And I think they just are better off with just using common sense, you know, instead of getting too much into the data where you really need to get more... Yeah, granular and, and more diligent is when your complexity of your sales team is scaling, right? Like, let's say you have, eight, like, that was also the trigger point for me back then. Like, when we moved from, like, eight to ten people, you know, in the sales organization or in a commercial organization, it really became important to also get more granular in the planning. Because you can't just say, hey, everybody has a quota of 800K, you know, and then off you go. And then, you know, the intern who comes out of university has the same target as like your seven years experience account executive uh, from the US, you know, it's not going to work like that. So that's when you actually need to start getting more granular. So you can actually learn, like you can actually really understand the gaps in your performance on a granular level. But only if that really becomes important. And that is when you have significantly more complexity in your business and you actually lose the overview of things, you should get more granular. So the easiest way to start really is just do the top-down, like classical approach, you know, at the beginning when it comes to revenue planning specifically. 
that is you say how many how much revenue do i need by next year or whatever your time frame is you break it down by your different segments where it's, where it's coming from like it could be like the typical one is hey we do have like an inbound and an outbound channel at the beginning like maybe two customer segments and then you just see how it's distributed across these dimensions you think about how much budget you need for that if you calculate it back with your historical win rate and that's your plan and that's good enough, you know, and then you think about, Hey, like I roughly need hundred leads per month for these different segments and on we go. And that's good enough, right? It's not good enough. If you actually want to steer your teams and hold them accountable on a very granular level to deliver the performance that the team leaders have promised at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the planning period. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. You know? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, it is, um, it is that kind of thing, right? But you need to start collecting because it's very difficult to go back and start collecting data from a year ago when you didn't monitor it. So having some, like, what are the key metrics that you want to be tracking? As you mentioned, keep it simple, keep it high level, have the definitions in place so you can actually use those conversion rates with time so you don't change like the criteria after a year because all of a sudden all the historical data might be garbage but what would be because you mentioned a few different metrics there i i know you like like your data and of course pine is like there is a lot of metrics and data in there so what would be your kind of i'm, I'm just going to pick a number top five favorite uh, metrics to to look at and, and monitor you mentioned on this kind of weekly monthly basis I would say, again, it really depends on the stage that you're in, yeah. right? Like, let's say you're rather early, right? Like somewhere around early series um, A or some uh, somewhere around that. You should start looking at net revenue retention, right? But it's not the most important metrics. Like when you get to the end of your series A, beginning of series B, that's what becomes the most important um, metric for your business, especially right now. Right. The second one is um, usually still today, and I, I think this will not change too soon. Um, it's still bookings, right? How much revenue do you actually close per month? And there, you know, we already see a bit of a shift there. You know, it's um, with this whole revenue operations movement, basically, the go to market side and the finance side are closing to get, moving closer together, and finance doesn't think in bookings but they actually think in realized revenue right like in cash in the bank at the end of the day so we actually will see some sort of conversion there as well um in the future but right now it's still this right bookings this the third one is uh, pipeline so pipeline is uh, just so crucial especially if you have longer size cycles you actually need to understand how will the lead generation or demand generation engine that we are having in place today impact my future target achievability. So you actually need to see how much pipeline do you um, do you generate. So I would say those are the top three metrics that um, that you definitely want to track for your go-to-market organization. Cool. Yeah. And there is, of course, there is like, there are so many ones and that's the thing with everything. Uh, and I think that goes into a lot of the stuff we talked about. And like, I think one of the main thing here is like people tend to overcomplicate it too soon, uh, especially if you're going from doing nothing to doing something, people go, okay, I'm finally going to set up a sales process. And they just go three month planning, sitting in a, sitting in a meeting room, trying to figure out what the customer wants instead of just having a hypothesis, get started, go out, talk to the customers, stand the customer, they sit in a boardroom and talk about it and make something up. And I think that's kind of complicating it too much and not speaking with customers is such a big thing and not tracking, having some kind of definition and tracking in place as well. It doesn't have to be difficult and complicated, but it's, yeah. 
but I guess it's it's not as interesting. I guess that's uh, that's the thing. Why do you think that is? Like I'd like because my 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 belief now is that especially now like looking at I think we've had like the golden year of SaaS uh, the past fifteen years. You know, a lot of money like. Uh, easy to raise capital it's been kind of a bull run since like what i realized with two star it's like 15 years i realized yesterday it was like 2008 right so like now i think this year it feels like it's a little bit more the frugality like let's actually be profitable let's not just throw more money at it like why do you think it's not more prevalent especially in europe as you talked about in the beginning versus united states to to do this it's an excellent question you know because you are right, like the funding market is changing, right? Like you're getting severely punished if you have super high acquisition costs, or especially if they have a disbalance to your, um, to your payback period, right? But at the same time, I think it just takes time for people to adjust their mindset, right? Especially in Europe, a lot of companies are still thinking about pipeline, right? Like even though they should be thinking about how can they retain their customers, Right now, it's um, a lot of the conversation that we are having are actually focused on, hey, like, how can we move our 50% pipeline um, achievement up? You know, like, this is my number one challenge right now. And I'm like, I don't think that's your number one challenge. I think your number one challenge is your customers are churning. Like, you know, the market won't get magically bigger just because you have ambitious targets for your lead generation or for your pipeline generation. You know, it doesn't work like that. But the mentality is still the same that it used to be before. And I think it will just take a bit more, it t- will take a lot more failures to actually realize that this is significantly shifting because saving money is also not sexy. You know, it's not, it's similar like what you said about cleaning up the CRM, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's not cool. It's like, do your taxes all over again. You know, it's like, no, no one celebrates you for it. Right. Like it's, yes, maybe like, be, like, in little terms, you know, and investors will clap your hand, but it's so much cooler to celebrate another 50K in new ARR than celebrate 50K that you saved or celebrate a 50K upsell. You know, it's, um, it's just a culture thing. But to answer your question, like, why is that happening in the, why is the shift already happening in the US versus not in Germany yet? I can't really answer it to you, to be fair. Like, I don't know it for sure. And I can't, I, I don't know for sure, hundred percent, whether that's the case either. Like if I were to give a hypothesis about this, it's um, like, especially revenue operation is a significantly more mature role in the US than it is in Europe, right? Like this full fund understanding of how revenue is generated has been a type of creed of Americans or American B2B scale-outs for a while already. And it's just coming now to Europe, right? Like it's a three to four year delay. And I feel like this could be similarly true for, yeah, basically implementing systems that benefit the frugality, like actually making sure that we are having healthier businesses over here as well. But to be honest, like I can't fully answer it to you. Like what is your hypothesis about it? Yeah, I was thinking, I think it's a lot of things and a lot, a lot of it is what we talked about with uh, the cleaning versus buying new stuff. It's more fun to buy new cool gadgets for your house, but you can't clean up your, um, this is by the way, a quote from uh, the other guy I was speaking to, you can't clean up your house by through buying more stuff, but it's more fun. And I think that might be part of it, but I thought about it now as well, like, because at least for us, a lot of our customers are using HubSpot and they might not have kind of a good way actually to even clearly monitor retention rate, for example. So 
uh, monitoring churn and retention that might be happening in a different system, uh, not naturally connected to HubSpot. So if you can't really see that and measure the change you're making, you might have that in another system and it might not be tied to the whole revenue team in a good way. So it might even be that people don't realize uh, how big of an impact this can actually have because the numbers are not as... This is also me just thinking about this right now. I haven't really had this thought before, but... That, that could be something because it is difficult to track some of those metrics for, for a lot of companies if you don't have a separate tool for it. It's actually, it's, this is a very valid point too, because what I often see is exactly that behavior, right? Like it's like, like there's, I think, two layers to it, right? The first one is actually realizing that you have this problem, right? Like, no, actually, the first one is having transparency, right? That there is a problem, right? Like to actually see, hey, we are losing 500K revenue every every quarter from churn customers, being able to, and we're just making, I don't know, we're just upselling 300K. That is like, we have a big problem in our NRR, right? So actually seeing this the first, right? And then the second one is actually realizing it and accepting it, which is then actually, hey, we accept that this is a major problem. And then the third step is then acting on it, right? Which is you actually know how you can change it. And I think what, what I often see is even if companies see it, you know, they see that there's a churn problem and they actually have negative uh, net retention or net dollar retention, they will still not accept this as the main problem because it's not what they plan for, you know? And this is the crazy part. This is why I say like, hey, like planning is broken today because it's so rigid, you know? You plan at the beginning of the year, hey, we will create that much pipeline. And then you struggle, 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 and you always at 40, 50% over the year and you don't adjust your plan, that's insanity. Just think about you doing this in, in, in your product organization. Like you would be like, people would not understand how you could have missed the best practice of doing this, right? But in planning is often the case. And so even though you see the numbers, your plan still says something different and people like to stick to the plans often, you know, it's the reality. And that's just one reason, right? Another one is might also be, hey, it's like, we're just not used to acting on, on churn problems. So we don't know exactly what the action is, right? So we don't know exactly how to change it. So we don't prioritize it right now it's like a problem for the future but yeah this is something that's actually so stunning and i see that so many companies it's 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 actually super surprising to me yeah but it is and i think a bit of this as well is like you need to be kind of like if you don't know how to fix it like because churn like fixing this churn problem like how do we actually do that in a good way like okay this is a whole other conversation of course but <laughs> like I had a really good case yesterday with with a colleague and she was just like, oh, I haven't even thought about that. I'm not going to go into what it was, but it was basically, I was like, why don't you do it like this? She's like, I didn't realize this was an option. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know it's an option, you don't know what to search for, you don't know what to solve. So if you don't know that there is actually like ways you can solve it or even measure it, like you don't realize that like there is a pain and there's a solution to that pain. And I think like there's, there's a lot of different things, but... I think that's also part of it. Uh, but as you said as well, I, I do like, and that's something we are going more towards as well, is having a direction for the year, but don't try to plan out every single little teeny weeny action uh, on a yearly basis. Like maybe the quarter, realistically, two, three months, you can probably be pretty granular with your planning, but for the year as a whole, like mapping out every single thing you're going to be doing, the reality is there's no way for you to know exactly what's going to happen when. You're just going to be ending up pushing tasks forward 
and ending right. up with a massive to-do list and you feel bad all the time for not doing stuff on your to-do list. And yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. Any final thoughts about this one? Yeah, I think like I'm a big fan of actually planning as much as you can from the beginning, you know, but I think the point is like, hey, you can only realistically anticipate what will happen in the next quarter or maybe the one afterwards, but probably not. But it's actually good to have a plan for the entire year, but that shouldn't mean you should stick to it necessarily, right? Like new evidence comes out. Who can anticipate? I mean, you could say you could anticipate interest rates going up, but you know, it still can hit you by surprise. Like it's improbable that you're an economic specialist at the beginning of the year suddenly, you know? So um, yeah, just having that humbleness to admit that your plans will probably be wrong and you have to adjust them over the year. And it's also not a big problem as long as you can explain what actually went wrong and what you're doing about it. That's that's how I actually believe um, is a good approach for that. No, like I would say like it, it like an old kind of trading investment advice is like the, what is it like? Let your winners run and cut your losers short fast or something like that. And I think that's yeah. with this as well. You can kind of, but I think there's also balance here because as a leader, you don't want to seem to be directionless and just reacting to whatever is happening. So there is, I think there's a lot of challenge uh, in, in, in this whole thing, which is why a lot of people and companies struggle with it. Right. And yeah, it's definitely a whole, a whole different conversation. We can probably spend a couple of hours <laughs> talking <laughs> about. So, so let's actually run off with, um, a question that I would kind of ask always at the end of uh, the podcast. So what's one learning or insight that has significantly changed your perspective of business and life recently, or maybe not recently, maybe just sometime back in the days. Um, so this is very profound now. Okay. So it's a bit of a warning. Mm, big questions. It, it, it is, but <laughs> I mean, it's a big question, but also a big answer. So, Around two years ago, I did a Vipassana retreat, you know, which is basically a silent retreat and you don't speak for 10 days. And the idea is really that you meditate all day and you get your head empty, you know, of everything. And suddenly you gain perspective, right? And I realized actually during this retreat that everything in life is about perspective, right? Like if you have a healthy perspective, if you have a healthy view of things, you're able to position everything in a favorable light why you also can consider, of course, like what led to events that didn't go as planned, you know, like what actually went into directions that you didn't want them to go. But you can, in generally tell yourself a positive life story, like something that makes sense. And that actually gives satisfaction, right? And if you're on the other side, which is, I think, like a lot of great founders have that, um, like a lot of great people I know have this in, in common, like they're very problem focused, you know, like they are... They, they dwell a lot on mistakes and problems and want to make them busy, uh, better, you know, and they're actually very busy on focusing on those instead of actually making significant progress towards the life that they want to have to, towards like having a more positive view of how they are, you know, spending their time, how they are actually living. And I think actually funny enough, you know, when I think about it, it's actually very similar to, you know, um, to how you can treat revenue plans, you know, <laughs> because you ask me, how does it translate to business? So here you go. Because I also think if you like, you should plan for things, right? Like you should make thing, make sure you actually have a vision about where you want to go, what you want to achieve by when, you know, but then you should not get crazy when things don't go as planned. Like you should still like be able to understand, Hey, what actually 
change that my assumptions were and hold true? What can I learn from that? What can I take a, a, away from it? And how, like, is there still a favorable light to look forward with this? You know, like, what can we just put this in the favorable light again? Like really being focused on the resources, right? And steering always towards things and not away and scared away from things. So I think this is like a ph philosophical thing um, that really changed my life uh, and changed my perspective on business and private. Mm. Are you doing it often or is it a one-time thing, the 10 days? Um, so I actually will do it again, but it has been the first time. And then actually afterwards you have to, like the goal is that you actually meditate like two hours a day on a daily basis. And this was a bit overwhelming for my, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. So like every day or like, just during the 10 every days? Day, every day. Oh, wow. Like, during, the, during the camp, it's actually like 10 and a half hours. So it's super intense, you know, it's like, probably the most exhausting thing you can do um even though it doesn't sound like it that's really cool no i i, I actually really like that that insight and like it's something i actually thought about yesterday uh like that kind of uh, because i think we're so focused again now we're going all philosophical here but like we are so focused on what happens in front of us and as you said being problem focused we have social media we have all this kind of stuff and like you never you're never bored and you never take time to kind of think and reflect properly with no distractions. At least you would have your email because going four hours without checking your emails, like, is that even possible? I think a lot of people would not dare to even do that. Uh, and I think it's really not good for anyone to do that. So like, I definitely think that doing that and like maybe not 10 days, but just taking a few days every now and then and just yeah. turning off a little bit. Uh, because as you said, it's actually a lot of things happen when you do it. Right. Uh, so I love it. So <laughs> where can people go? Like, I know you have a lot of really cool resources that got a lot of attention on LinkedIn with like different sheet sheets and stuff like that. But where should people go if they want to learn more about you, Pine, uh, or just uh, want to ask you some uh, well thought out questions? So the first place that they can go is to my LinkedIn profile, right? Like which, which is Roman, Roman, A-R-O-M-A-N, and then Geugelin, that's G-E-U-G-E-L-I-N. And just add me there and shoot me a note if you want to talk or shoot me an email at roman at pine.ai. Um, and the alternative, if you just want to find out about Pine, you can just go to our website, pine.ai, and, you know, decide for yourself whether it merits a conversation and then you just hit me up afterwards. So that would be the approach. Awesome. Yeah, we'll be adding the links as well under the under the episode on on YouTube and wherever podcast lives. And uh, Roman, been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. So thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. Thank you, Andreas. It was a big pleasure. And um, yeah, hoping we can do this again at some point. Absolutely. And that's a wrap on today's episode of A Slice of SaaS. Big thank you to Roman for joining us and sharing his valuable insight on revenue operations and the transformative power of strategic planning. Remember, if you found the conversation today valuable, please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really helped us to continue bring on thought leaders like Roman and keep you at the forefront of revenue operations.